Welcome to Six Figure Authors, the show that helps you take your writing career to the next level. I'm Joe Lalo, and I'm here with my two co-hosts. I'm Andrea Pearson. And I'm Lindsay Baroker. Andrea recently presented at the Idaho Writers Guild Conference on the topic of marketing strategies from top authors. She reached out to a bunch of six and seven figure authors, plus a bunch of in industry uh, influencers, asking them all the same question. What one thing would you attribute your success to? They answered, and she discussed those answers for her presentation. We figured we could summarize and group some of them according to topic and then discuss with our listeners. But first, we're going to do news like we always do, and I'm going to start because my news is very, very full, but also very, very empty. So since the last episode, I completed a job hunt, uh, completed a house hunt, started the new job, sold the house, moved from one house to the other, and had a two-week bout of severe bronchitis. Uh, what I didn't do during any of that time is meaningful writing business. So for almost two months, I've just been keeping the Patreon going. If I had not done a tremendous amount of writing right before we started, I started the job hunt, then I would have had at least one month with absolutely no words written or released. So that would have been bad, but it's okay. I planned. Uh, and now I'm preparing for the uh, unplanned seventh Big Sigma book. Uh, I, I thought I had completed the book at book six, and then I started writing a, a, a chapter of like a, an episodic, and I just decided to make the episodic a new novel, and then now it's going to be releasing on July 11th. So hoping I'll be able to do monthly releases after that, because I actually have two other completely edited books that just need covers. Uh, and we'll see if I can get things back on track, but that's what I'm up to right now. It's pretty awesome. Exciting. And, um, I love the house. He sent a link to us of his house. I loved it. It was pretty great. Um, yeah, and like it. yeah, my internet's really crappy. So they're going to tell me if like it, it, uh, craps out and I have to switch to my phone. So patience with me. Um, okay. So I've got two things going on right now. Uh, first, I'm taking part in, in, in InfoStack's sixth, geez, English, right? Published Profit Bundle. I've been so busy getting ready for my second bit of news that I only just barely took a look at it. And it is so amazing. Like I was just blown away, away at what they were able to put into it. And so it's $49. And if that's all you spend this year on your marketing and publishing business, then that's I it will set you up for this year, next year, whatever you need. Anyway, so just to give you a sample of what's included, there's a bunch of workshops and online courses, including my automation sequence course, which alone is usually 50 bucks. And um, there's a bunch that are directed towards marketing, becoming a successful author. One of them is on, on identifying your top three most profitable marketing channels. Another is geared to making email marketing and list building easy. And I know that's a pain point for a lot of our listeners. Uh, there's a 50% discount off of book trailers from a company that I'd heard of. So that's cool. And uh, there are a couple of eBooks and courses that teach self-editing. One is on, on identifying your ideal readers in 30 days. And then Elena Johnson has her entire collection of indie marketing eBooks in it. Uh, the six-figure story generator is in it. Allie Cross's book on authoring with chronic illness. And then also my, I was blown away when I saw this. Alex Newton from Kalytics has a three um, X genre report bundle. And those, his reports are generally $39 each. And he's got three of them inside this. That is definitely worth the $49 you'll pay for the bundle. Uh, anyway, so I'm super impressed with the lineup. It's only available this week. And in order for me to get credit and any money at all, which is the way they set it up, you don't get money unless somebody uses your affiliate link. So please use my link uh, when you buy. Go to infostack.io forward slash Andrea Pearson. And uh, I'm going to be a brat and say, pause the episode and do it now so you don't forget. <laughs> anyway, I will post in the Facebook group too, just in case. But 
Um, my next big piece of news is this. I've done a lot of one-on-one -on -one coaching with authors and writers over the years. And with authors, I focus, them, focus on helping them publish and market books and helping them figure out what need to be set in place for success in their business. And I was fortunate enough to see a lot of authors get up to six figures, which was really exciting. Um, with writers, you know, uh, before they'd been published, I gave them the tools they needed to get off the ground, just the direction they needed to go. And then, but across the years of coaching, I came to a, uh, find a pain point that a lot of my clients shared, uh, if not most of them. And it was regardless of their income and royalty level. level. Uh, that was this, uh, an, an anxiety and stress about personal finances, uh, whether that was from crippling debt or living paycheck to paycheck, which like 75% of the country does, or struggling to keep themselves on track financially, which was common for my clients who made a lot of money. Um, I started feeling a draw away from marketing and publishing coaching and toward coaching on on a more rubber meets road and granular level. Anyway, so to be honest, actually, I've spent uh, more time researching and studying personal finances than I have spent on marketing and, and writing. And it's because this is the first passion I came across as an adult. My parents dragged me to one of those in-person all day events once in like 2002 or 2001 or something like that. And I've never forgotten what I learned there. And I didn't get the writing and publishing bug until probably 2008. So uh, to put it lightly, I'm obsessed with personal finances and helping others figure out their money, which I, before I was qualified, I was like, I, I can help you, but I don't have any qualifications. <laughs> and now I, I am qualified. I'm actually certified as a financial coach. And I've started a podcast and a YouTube channel for it called The Andrea Pearson Show, which many thanks to Joanna Penn, who was like, name your podcast something that is around you instead of around a specific topic. And I love that, that advice. Anyway, so I can't wait to see where things go. Um, things go. And my goal is to help listeners of that show and my coaching clients find peace and hope in personal finances, uh, freeing them up to do what they love, which in our case is writing, because we we know that when you're stressed and having a lot of anxiety about finances, it's really hard to write and to really release your inner creative self. Um, but I hope listeners will come on this journey with me to financial freedom. So go check out the Andrea Pearson show and um, be prepared to be surprised and possibly even offended at my opinions. I don't go with the flow on finances. I'm not conventional. But um, yeah, anyway, and then of course, get the InfoStack Write Publish Profit at infostack.io forward slash Andrea Pearson. I'm still writing and publishing, so apparently I'm the only one on the show, you weirdos. No, um, it's tough having transitions and stuff. I feel like a lot of people are doing that either by choice or because they're forced to right now. So perfectly understandable. Are you advising everyone to get completely out of debt and buy houses without debt? As some I mean, popular financial advisors who live, I don't know, in what housing market do. Um, I don't, I think um, debt, I don't like debt, but I mean, most, nobody can actually pay for a house with cash. So <laughs> very few, especially if you're in an expensive area. All right. Yeah. My news is really just, uh, it's been an interesting three months for those who are kind of Amazon centric. They, you probably already know, they redid how they're assigning categories you can actually go in and select three now. You can't email them anymore and ask to be in up to 10. I have not done a whole lot as far as going in and checking old titles. I, If I update something, I go in and check, but it's, it's turning out that anything before the last few years, I, I was only in the categories you could pick anyway. So nothing changed except that I got an additional one. For books that were, I had written and asked for ones that you couldn't pick from the dashboard, which I know was for a while, that was for quite a while, 10, 20 years, uh, you couldn't get them all. Um, now you can, you have to kind of dig through the menus and 
some people were like, oh, no, urban fantasy and paranormal romance is gone. I'm like, no, no, you just need to keep going drilling down. But it may be worth checking if your income took a hit and you haven't been paying that much attention and you're not sure why. It could be that you got dropped out of the categories you wanted to be in uh, and, and are in some other ones now. And also, those who are, do Kindle Unlimited know that the page rate dropped quite significantly in March, I believe it was. And then in April, it was like very slightly higher. And I, yeah, we just got the May ones and it, it's still at this lower level. So it seems like this may be the new normal. So for anyone who was kind of cutting it tight on how much they were spending on advertising, kind of assuming that the payouts would be stay similar, it, it does seem that it's taking a hit down and, you know, people have shown charts where it is progress. It's been kind of a steady progression down over the last five years, but this was kind of a significant jump from like point, what is it? 0.0045 to 0.004. And if you're getting millions of page reads a month, it was, it was unpleasant. I happened to have a very good March. So I was like, well, gee, that, that was a really uh, unexpected drop in what I thought I was getting. And um, I decided and this has actually been on other people's podcasts, so I guess it's not news. I tweeted to my readers that I was going to take a couple series out of KU because it wasn't worth it, which true, but I had been planning to take those series out eventually anyway. So it was a bit of an excuse, like I'm going to do it now. Um, and I, the reason I went into KDP Select all those years ago was more about rankings and being seen visibility than the money but after a while you know you get used to the money too so that's nice so it, it's been a hit i ended up taking my dragon gate and star kingdom series out so it was about 16 17 18 books total and even though they had all fallen out of the charts these are older series that had finished up um it was it's been very noticeable <laughs> the collectively they were bringing enough page reads uh, that uh, I've definitely noticed the hit. And then my my Legacy of Magic series, which was doing really well over the winter, you know, has fallen off as, as for most authors, this happens. Every now and then I see people, I'm like, wow, they're amazingly still in the top 100 for urban fantasy, like three or four years after that was released, but I don't have that power. So I, I am taking those ones wide now. And even though I've had a lot of stuff wide, all my older stuff is wide. It definitely wasn't like, oh, people rushed out and saw them and bought them right away. I would say only Google Play is the site that right away they started selling, not in any large amount, but uh, started getting a couple of trickles on Barnes and Noble. I, I did make one book one in my Star Kingdom series free because that's an eight book series. I was like, let's just go ahead and make that one free. But we'll see. I, you know, when I go in and look at what's been going on these last years when I wasn't paying a lot of attention to the other sites, there's really only one, my Dragon Blood box set, which has been free forever, that's kind of continued to get a steady amount of downloads. Most of the other frees, like most people, I, I have to run promos to them to really goose them. There's not a whole lot of people just finding the books in the store. So uh, that's what you have to do if you go wide. You have to just plan on, all right, I'm starting over from scratch and I got to promote these on the other sites. I have seen, um, there's the Wide for the Win Facebook group. If, if you're not there and you want to be wide, that's a good place to check and, and see what's happening. And I think there were some other people too that when the KU rates dropped, they said, I'm going to go wide. And they're disappointed because they're not earning as much as they were on Amazon. 
I'm not either, just to let you know. <laughs> it's important to be realistic. Not only does it take time to, like I said, promote these other sites and your books on these other sites and build things up, they're smaller stores overall. I, I've heard of people having, you know, some really good success on Apple, but they're just much smaller stores than Amazon, as people have pointed out. Amazon's number one, and then KU, if you counted that as a separate store, it'd be like number two, well above the other ones. So whether you can replace that income or not, you know, it's it's going to depend. A lot of people who have gone wide eventually have. It's kind of going to depend on how much you are making on Amazon. If you're uh, six figures a month on Amazon, yeah, good luck trying to replace that on the other stores. But maybe if you throw selling direct in there, you know, it just depends how much you want to work it and how much how much it means to you to not be dependent on them. And um, it's probably too late to give this advice, but leaving in a huff is never a good idea. Like I said, I kind of posted it like I was, but I had been wanting to go wide with those series anyway. So it, sometimes it's a, something you say to make justify it to your readers who aren't quite as, you know, in the business. I, I always hate to disappoint the KU exclusive people and, you know, so... Uh, it is what it is, but uh, just know that if you're having a hard time going wide right now, you're trying to do that, everybody is. It, it's really hard to just knock it out of the park from the start. If you can get a book bub, great, but most people can't. All right. So uh, my two co-hosts have hard outs, so we're going to try to get through this, uh, you know, with some, some decent speed. So we're going to move into our author answer section where we're going to go through some of the, the, the quotes that some of the top authors made and see what we can learn from them. Hey, Joe, can I say something really fast? Sure. Okay. Just for the, the authors who are quoted in this, um, I gave your full quotes for the presentation, but because there's three of us, um, we shortened them significantly for the podcast. Yeah. Just little, the nuggets of wisdom within the nuggets of wisdom. It's distilled. It's like brandy. Uh, all right. So, First, uh, we're, these are collected into, into clusters of similar topics. And the first one is on persistence, pers persistency, consistency, and determination. Uh, so Honoré Cordier says, the number one thing I can attribute my success to is consistent, persistent action, paired with always being kind to others, developing relationships, and helping others as much as I can. Lindsay Broker says, consistency and potty humor. Uh, Cami Checkets says determination, simply not giving up or giving in to discouragement, setbacks, failure, or criticism from myself or others, working six days a week, long hours for many years. Christine Catherine Rush says determination, I never give up. Sarah K.L. Wilson says persistence. Chris Fox says deliberate practice, perseverance, and discipline. Sean Inman says, for me, it's consistency in all aspects of my writing career, publishing schedule, writing daily, and managing expectations. Kevin J. Kevin J. Anderson says, I'd have to say persistence and adaptability. And part of that persistence is persistence of learning as well as being willing to change on a dime as the publishing world and the readership changes. And finally, Mark Leslie Lefebvre says, the top thing I attribute my success to as a writer would be persistence, long-term thinking and never giving up. I guess I'm first. And uh, you didn't have to trim mine. It was pretty brief. Anytime you ask for a quote from someone who's uh, got a goblin still for their avatar on Twitter, you're going to get a reverence and something short. But consistency and persistence, kind of similar. And hopefully, if you're being persistent, you're regularly releasing books. I think that's key for most people who are able to turn this into a career. And it's something that a lot of people have a hard time with, either because 
that's just not how they tick to like keep doing the same thing day in or day out or just because maybe they're doing good for a while but life throws things at them so it's actually kind of rare I think to be able to keep writing and publishing like clockwork year in and year out but it helps if you can <laughs> yeah it definitely helps but it is also rare um, so I agree with what Lindsay said, uh, being an author isn't something you can easily clock in and out of like you would making pizzas or something. And I absolutely loved making pizzas. There's a really fine line to tread. I think that's the saying, I don't know, when it comes to being consistent and persistent and not burning out or neglecting your mental health, which just is common prevalent in the author world. I believe there's a lot of merit to the tortoise versus the hare, but if that sort of schedule doesn't work for you, which it doesn't for me, you have to find what works or be willing to accept that it might not work for you. I do still believe that you can find success if you write good quality books on a regular basis, but success will look differently across each year. Just make sure in your quest to find success, success you don't sacrifice more than you should, whatever that might be for you. And just to respond to what you said earlier, Lindsay, I do still write. I just can't rely on my royalties because I have kids and homeschool. <laughs> so I just don't, yeah, I was just common because in the news, nobody said anything about writing. I was like, wait, I'm still writing. I'm still here, guys. <laughs> it's still a writing show. <laughs> um. All right. So uh, for me, I have to say that definitionally the people who win at the game are the people who stay in the game. And while consistency certainly allows you to reach the highest levels of income and make this a genuine career, persistence is very slightly edges out in the long run. Because as Andrea suggested, if you're consistent at a high level and then burn out, that could mean at the end of your career, unless you know you have the persistence to limp along through your burnout and recover and jump back in after a dry spell. Also, inconsistency comes in many forms. Uh, early in my career, when the KDP gold rush was still going and my career was definitely on its upward swing, uh, I had a full year with no releases. Like one of my highest earning years was a year when I didn't put out a book. I put out a book at the end of the previous year and the beginning of the next year. And that's because while I wasn't being consistent with my release schedule, I was still being consistent with my like community interaction. I, I stayed active and engaged. I was putting up blog posts regularly. So my readers were completely aware of what was going on and I was sort of keeping them interested in me. Uh, so being consistent sometimes changes, but you know, also, it helps if that happens during a boom cycle, uh, which is good, too. So just keep that in can, mind. Can I add, I actually never had that experience. And that's why I'm always envious of these people. And I don't know how they do it, how they keep their books in the top 100 for long after their series is over, year in and year out. And it's like, wow, I like as soon as I stop writing and releasing, this things stop dropping. Like I might have a couple months. I've had something, I had my Dragon Blood series box set at 99 cents stick for like six months in the top 200. I still remember this because that's such a rare thing that has ne never happened to me. So I, all I can say for people like me is that if you can bank any extra money you earn, you know, and put it towards other investments that are more passive, not to go into Andrea's uh, finance stuff, but you know, it's, I mean, and I think that's more normal than not, honestly. Uh, every now and then you get a stroke of luck and or you're just to market and you were on the ball. And like you said, it was kind of the early days too back then. So you had a good cover and stuff and things could stick. But I've, I've always thought, well, if you get enough series out, you could just market them and you wouldn't have to write anymore. But I'm like, mm. <laughs> at, a, at a much lower level of income, that'd probably be true. But if you want to kind of stay where you are, I feel like for most people, it drops off eventually. Yeah, for sure. Um, all right, so the next section is about writing what readers want. Uh, so Mallory M.D. Cooper, uh, I attribute my success to writing the type of story that I wanted to read. 
Victorine E. Liesky, uh, learning the craft of storytelling and using that to write to market. K.M. Shea, uh, learning what kinds of books my readers want. Theodora Taylor, understanding slash being aware of my audience at every stage of the process. And Alex Newton, love, knowledge, and craft to commercially attractive genres. Uh, deliver and market what is wanted by readers. This one can be tough because some people naturally like to write what the market also likes without even having to do research or alter the types of stories they tell. But I think that's probably on the rare side too. Uh, a lot of people end up writing because they don't find the stories that they want to read out there. That was very much my case. And, and not to say I've never enjoyed other authors' works. I certainly have, have favorite authors. But in general, I pick up a lot of stuff I'm really picking. I'm like, ah, this is not quite what I would do, you know. So I write this stuff I want to read. But it's not necessarily the really to market hidden all the tropes. Um, and some, you know, I think a lot of people that want to do this as a career, you kind of have to start writing some things that maybe are intentionally to appeal to the masses, or you see the holes in the markets that you can exploit where there's not enough stuff out there and there's a hungry audience. And then maybe some of your other projects are just for the love of it. And maybe they'll sell and maybe they'll only or maybe they'll only sell to your super fans and hardly anyone else. Um, but I do always suggest to people to write their first book or series without worrying about the market. And then you can adjust as needed. You won't know until those books are out if you're kind of one of the lucky souls who loves what the market also desperately wants. And if you're one of those lucky souls who who even if you don't love what the market wants, you're able to figure out what the market wants. And I fall into the camp of people who can't easily tell what that is. And even when I know what the market wants I, wants, I don't entirely know if I hit all the needed tropes. And I didn't fully realize this until at that conference last month. And Becca Syme was like, some of you will know what a, tropes a book is hitting if you read, you know, what market the market wants or what I mean, some of you won't. And I've realized that I will read like 50 books and not realize exactly why readers love them. And some people, that's a skill that they have. Anyway, so that's why I focused so hard on marketing my butt off, especially in the beginning, but it was a huge uphill battle. And there's an, there's an audience for stuff that might not be super approachable, like some of my books, but it's hard to find that audience. And a lot of authors give up before they even reach the point where they're successful. So just make sure whatever you do with your books is professional. Give them the best covers you can and the best descriptions, plus a very cleanly edited interior. Then learn the usual stuff in marketing, like newsletters and having a website, all of that. And then also... But this one is really, really important to me. Work with what you naturally gravitate toward. Otherwise, you'll burn out and you'll hate what you're doing. Um, and then also recognize that what you naturally gravitate toward might change over time. I used to absolutely love Facebook, like love, 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 love it. And now I get on once every month, once every two months. I just hate being on it. So I rarely put up posts or visit groups and I don't do a lot of interacting. So if I were to expect myself to set up this huge mar social marketing campaign for a new launch, I would fail. It would be, it's unrealistic. I can't, I can't put that on myself. But yeah, I was, um, I was one of those lucky people whose first project was the like, passion project was like a bog standard trope driven epic fantasy. Like I went just right middle of the road, middle of the genre. And so I got my footing with that for sure. And that was just because that was the kind of story I wanted to tell. But since then, my stories have been perpetually market adjacent. Like the best way uh, to do things is to have a story that ticks all the boxes for the current market, but also adds your unique voice so that the readers keep coming back to you specifically. I've certainly leaned more heavily on the voice than the market, uh, sometimes on purpose and sometimes by accident. Something to keep in mind is that hitting the broad market isn't the only way to success. Like you'll have a bigger pool of, of potential readers if you if you hit the big markets. 
but the highs, you know, the highs will be higher, but the audience won't necessarily be as devoted. Like your book might just be one of the books they read this year. Um, meanwhile, if you're, if your book is like unique and like stand out, not even stand out in terms of quality, but just stand out in terms of something different, you're going to have a smaller, uh, you know, more esoteric audience, but they're going to be much more devoted to you. Uh, you will have a smaller pool of super fans and you can absolutely build a career on that foundation. Like that's the thousand true fans, you know, uh, rule of thumb. So if you if you really struggle to hit the market, remember that there's a there's a second way that you can go, uh, but it isn't the easiest path. Uh, all right, so our next section uh, is about willingness to change and sacrifice. Uh, Brian Cohen says willingness to pivot, a willingness to be proven willingness to be proven wrong and to have to change directions, a willingness to swallow their pride and listen to the data, listen to what the data is saying to stop the current path. Sarah Rossett says, I think being willing to change my business as the market changed has been the most important factor for me. Katie Cross says, willingness to fail. It's all about pivoting, really. You take what works as a sign to do more and stop doing what doesn't. Uh, and uh, Michael Brent Collings says, a support system, willingness to sacrifice, and must regularly write. I do think if you're going to have longevity doing this, that being willing to make changes and pivot as the market changes is super helpful. <laughs> I won't say that you have to do it, but, you know, I think a lot of people who were successful sort of in the early days of eBooks and, and Kindle and all that and are still successful today did have to pivot in some way. I, you know, just as an example, I started out very against going exclusive with Amazon. It, it was a thing you could be, I remember the free days or like this huge thing, if you were in KDB Select, your book, and you did one of the free days, your book would then stick and make a ton of money after it went back to <laughs> being paid. And I could never take advantage of that because I wasn't in KDB Select. And it wasn't until Kindle Unlimited came around and I here I am competing against all these people who are getting a borrow as being equivalent of a sale when it's so much easier to get a borrow. And I was bitter about it for a while. And then I said, oh, I'm going to try to launch a series and do it and see how it goes. And I, I, I still don't like it, but I've been willing to compromise by making older things wide and putting the newer series releases into KU. You know, I'm waiting a couple of years to take things wide. And I, I think that maybe pivoting but maybe or even compromise is kind of at the heart of it because that's kind of what a pivot is like you like like the way things were but if you're willing to change when the market changes you do have a better chance of success if you're stubborn stubborn you might still make it just fine like i think i would still have sold books without being in kdb select but i don't think i would have made as much during those years and you know it, it you might it might be the thing that kills you too an unwillingness to change you really have to kind of be able to analyze it and you know, decide if it's something you're willing to do or not. Kind of an amazing number of authors, just from what I see out there in the Facebook groups and stuff, get really stubborn and dogmatic about what's right and pop proper and publishing and marketing and marketing and what they will and won't do. And that's their choice, but it could really be the difference between success and failure when it comes to making an income from your writing. And it's hard to know, I think, um, for some authors, if they're being stubborn or just persistent, because, I mean, you need to be persistent, but if you're being stubborn, I don't know, 
Uh, and I love what Brian said about pride. That's one I've dealt with personally off and on. Like this has worked before and it still works. I should know I used it and it worked. Therefore, I couldn't possibly be wrong. So like using a newsletter, um, there are authors who are very successful who don't have a newsletter. And yet I'm like, you should have a newsletter. Why don't you have a newsletter? You know, so that's that's on me. Uh, you don't have to do anything and you can still be successful. And, you know, but it's it's hard for me to to give up my my pet marketing things. Um, but also I'm never the first to adopt new things quickly. I prefer to wait and see how it's working and then decide if it's just a fad or if it'll stick around for a while. And then I give it a go if it's got some long and termidness to it, but that definitely does cause me to be stuck in a rut sometimes. So a corollary to being willing to pivot and it's mentioned in some of the quotes is you need also to be able to identify the source of your success and the source of your failure. It's absolutely crucial to be willing to shift your tactics if they're not working, but changing for the sake of changing isn't a winning strategy. You have to be changing the right things. Uh, if you've been cranking out high quality books that people love, but you don't have a newsletter or you're not advertising or some other, you don't have any other sort of stable platform, jumping into a new genre isn't the change you should be making. You should be willing to change, but try to have some data about what's contributing to your success and what isn't and focus on changing the things that you need to change. Build on your strengths, uh, or shore up your weaknesses rather than just burning down your current tactics and trying new ones because novelty is not the solution. Uh, it's just part of the solution. And uh, so our, our next, I think last chunk here is just sort of assorted other themes. Uh, Jamie Albright says, building my email list before I launch my first book, also networking. Joanna Penn says, constant learning and application of that learning to my craft and business. I said, luck. Only one word answer so far. Uh, Mark Dawson said, treat it like a business and be professional. Uh, Meg Cowley, my success is rooted in community. And Becca Syme, knowing, your, their own, uh, knowing their own process and being completely aligned to what works best for them. So yeah, there's these aren't as easily grouped together. So I'm only going to kind of comment on a couple. But yes, even if you're an introvert and cringe at networking, which I do, it's always good to at least be polite and professional, whether you're indie or trad, this is a pretty small world. So I, it's sometimes I want to say things. I, every now, Twitter's horrible. It's like the easiest one to blurt out something in a huff, you know, but I try to remember like, oh, there's people that might be watching that. So let's not burn any bridges intentionally. As far as knowing your own process and being aligned with that, you know, we had Beck on the show a year or two ago, and she's a good one to follow, especially if you're struggling in any way. So, you know, most people, uh, a lot of say, let's say the first 10 books is kind of just figuring out your system and what works for you. And it's absolutely not the same for everyone. But if you ask someone who's written a lot and published a lot, how they do it, they're going to look blankly at you and say, well, you just sit down and write. But I think that's just because they've had their system and know what works for them in place for so long that it really is just sit down and write for them. Like they don't probably remember the early days that you know much or haven't thought about them for a long time I mean it is possible they're just one of those people that can naturally write and finish lots of books but um as for myself believe it or not as someone now with over 100 novels out I did not start out that way and really struggled to get more than a third of the way through anything before getting bored with it and wandering off and playing EverQuest or World of Warcraft instead which was way more fun than actually doing the hard work of finishing the book when things got to the sticky part where you didn't know what happened next and my hack, which I only learned by chance, not any special knowledge ahead of time that it would work, 
was joining an online writing workshop where we posted a chapter at a time, or I think we could have three chapters up and traded critiques with other people. And having the accountability of other people asking like, oh, it's been a week since you posted your last chapter, you're going to post a new one. And also seeing, you know, the other writers posting their chapters, finishing their novels, and, and some would get in the little news section, you know, like, oh, they got an agent or they got a publishing deal. And that motivated me in a way that just doing things on my own never did. Even now, if nobody was reading my books and asking for the next one, I honestly don't know if I would keep writing. Since I was a kid, I always liked making up stories in my head, but turning them into the books, that is a lot of work. <laughs> so uh, I, I will admit that today it's much easier than it was, but it, like I said, it took a while. And I think every, almost everybody is going to have that. They have, kind of have to figure out what, what's going to make it, what works for them. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. And um, I don't know, Joe's probably not going to draw attention to his answer, which Joe, by the way, there was one other one word answer, and that was Sarah Kale Wilson's and it was persistence. <laughs> but I'm going to draw attention to Joe's answer. And since I was putting my thoughts in here before he got to, uh, he can't disagree with me. <laughs> Though I guess he can now live, but uh, there really is something to be said about luck. Um, a lot of people say that luck is really just opportunity dressed, you know, opportunity is dressed up in all overalls, work, hard work, all of that. I can't remember what the actual quote is. I think it's Thomas Edison, but uh, I have to agree with that to an extent. I worked really, really, really hard and I don't have a single lucky thing to point to for my success as an author where readers and downloads are concerned. It was just a very, very, very slow and steady upward trajectory where there weren't spikes or anything. I, it was like the throw the spaghetti up against the wall and see what sticks in the shotgun method totally at the very, very beginning. But almost every other aspect of my author business, so the coaching side of things and being on this podcast and all of that can be attributed to being in the right place at the right time. But of course, that being said, if I hadn't done the work beforehand, the things that fell into place wouldn't have panned out. So to me, um, hard work has a role, but so does luck. Uh, this job isn't the same as a pizza making job. You, the hours you put in, and I'm really on pizza. I'm kind of hungry right now. <laughs> but the hours you put in don't equal the money you get paid. So that's where some of the luck comes in. Yeah, and as I had one syllable answer though, so I still I still have a superlative to my name. Um, so, all right, so com combining some of the other advice above, craft, business, and process, they all sort of unite in a common need, and that is finishing things. Uh, Lindsay spoke about what it took for her to actually, you know, start completing her stories. And uh, as strange as it is to have to point it out, an utterly indispensable part of any author career is actually finishing books. I know a lot of people who really, like, have written stuff that I really like, but they've written, you know, a chapter or a really cool premise. Or in one case, they made a really nice map. Uh, so like you need to finish a book. A book can always be better. Given enough time, you're going to shave off more sharp edges and you're going to produce snappier dialogue and you're going to have a more satisfying pace. But unless you're looking at this as an art, art unless you're only looking at this as an artistic outlet and looking at it as a career second, you're going to have to learn to balance quality with output. A book that is merely good but on sale is going to out-earn a spectacular book that's still a work in progress. Call it perfect is the enemy of good or perfect is the enemy of done or good enough is good enough. But no joke, finishing books is the only thing separating a professional author from a brilliant daydreamer. Uh, so you just keep that in mind. And, I did uh, want to add um, on the luck thing. The more books you finish and have out there, the more series you write, the more chance there is that you're going to have some lucky moments. Even, you know, not everything is going to be 
suddenly you can retire kind of thing like but you'll have these little lucky things like i said the dragon blood box set sticking in the top 200 on amazon which for a 99 cent box set is not like you would think that's not a big deal but it led to more sales in the rest of the series and it was a huge jump in my income that year that you know i've managed to keep going since then and some of those big jumps are just you just kept publishing things you try you know you try to market it you try new things maybe you got new covers i've seen a lot of people get lucky <laughs> after they get new covers for their series and sometimes it's just a little thing somebody mentions you mentioned your book on a blog they you know like i said they may not like suddenly make it so you can retire tomorrow but these little things you will get them if you stick with this long enough and if you keep marketing and, and getting new people to read your books yeah, every every book is a lottery ticket, you know. In addition to everything else, it, every book is just out there for people to potentially find. You might um, not get the millions or the Powerball, yeah. but maybe you get the little ones where you scratch and you get yeah. five hundred dollars. <laughs> and they're fun, just like those. Um, all right, so we have a little bit more time. Um, uh, we're going to end this by talking about what our plan is uh, going forward for the rest of the year. Uh, I, I will go first since that way I don't have to segue out of what I was saying into a closing in a moment. So uh, like I said, I'm going to be releasing uh, Big Sigma 7, which is called Quantum Shift. That's going to be coming out on July 11th. The other two books that are on the on the release list are uh, The Other Eight versus The Icon, which is a superhero story, a sequel to a previous superhero story. Uh, and the fourth book in my uh, long-abandoned uh, urban fantasy series, Shards of Shadow. So those will be released at some point in the, in the second half of this year. And I have another editing slot. Uh, so my last deadline that I have like lined up is in October. I don't know for sure what I'm going to be writing, um, which is a problem because I have to really start in order to finish. Uh, but it will probably be, uh, uh, there's a, one of my more successful bizarre books was the prequel to my first book. And this is going to be the completely unmarketable sequel to a prequel. But uh, it, it has been partially written for a really long time. And everyone who is a diehard fan of mine, whenever I ask what I should write next, they're like, we want to finish. We want to know the end of that story. So I'll do that. <laughs> as long as I got a day job now, I don't have to worry about selling books. I might as well fill out the checklist. So that's probably how my year is going to go. Plus, of course, the monthly releases in Patreon, the eventual collected release of Patreon, and probably I'm going to be pulling some of my exclusive stuff out of KU because it's been in there long enough. I'm satisfied with how it's done. All right, just a couple things that I have. This is this is part of the show where we ad lib because we actually got through our notes faster than we thought we would, and we didn't want it to be the world's shortest show. But a couple things I'm doing that. I've been thinking about for a while is you guys might remember my Ruby Lyons Drake pen name with the sci-fi romances. I haven't written a new one since like 2017 or something, somewhere in that ballpark. So they've really fallen off. You know, they sell a few copies a month. And I think I've decided, well, I have decided actually, or I'm in the, talk to the cover designer and I'm booked. I'm going to redo the covers on them and put my name on them. Like Lindsay Broker writing is Lindsay. <laughs> Lindsay Broker writing is Lindsay Broker uh, writing is Ruby Lyons Drake and put the you know go through and change them in the author KDP dashboard these ones have always been exclusive to Amazon I just with the pen name I didn't have the interest in doing extra marketing especially after I retired or so I'm going to see that will help them come up more when people search for my name and I think by leaving the pen name 
author name on there, it'll be clear to people like, oh, this is something different. And I'm going to redo the cover so there's no Manchester stuff, which nothing against the Manchester. If you're doing the romance and the Manchester sells, keep on going. But I, I want them to not be turn a turn off to my regular audience, which is usually less of the sex scenes and stuff like that. So I think I'm going to do like a symbol based covers and there's like zero of them in the top 100 for sci-fi romance so this is really going to be about making them easier to find for my existing audience rather than I, I don't know if I'm going to be able to reboot it unless they start publishing new ones which you never know I'm about to wrap up a series and I'm kind of like uh, uh, what do I want to do next uh, you know start something all new or I, I'm kind of feeling like these days we didn't talk about the AI bugaboo or any of that stuff but I Going forward, I may do more stuff that's sort of already relying on my existing worlds that the fans have liked, whether it's spinoff series or something already established. So I feel like, you know, we're probably still a ways off from this, but it may be harder launching all new stuff, competing. About, I think there's a lot of new stuff that's going to be out there that's going to be quickly written. And it's just not, I'm not saying I'm never going to write something all new, but I'm kind of thinking, leaning towards more like, oh, new new stuff in the existing where the fans really want more because they're always asking for more. I always, as a creative, I'm like, no, I want to do something new. Why can't you just be excited for my new thing with me <laughs> instead of asking for book 12 in, in this old series? Um, but yeah, so that's what I'm thinking. What else? There was one more thing I was going to say, but why don't I let you talk, Andrea, and if I think of it before we wrap up, I'll, I'll share. Sounds good. And Joe, you should seriously name that book prequel to a sequel. And then you'll sound like you, like the classical music composers where all of their generic sounding titles of their songs back then. Yeah, that'd be great. That's the last nail in the coffin of marketing. Like what's it even about? <laughs> doesn't matter what it's about, just where it is in the, in the end of the timeline. <laughs> anyway, um, so I'm going to be writing a book on personal finances for writers, just because that's what I'm going to be focusing on here. Um, but I'm still working on the last book in my Alpine Hospital Romance series. It's the sixth in the series. And when I pulled my readers, it was the one they wanted most out of several options, which was really exciting to me. Um, and then the next one they wanted most is a huge passion project. It's like I it's one I've been brainstorming for. I think I've talked about it on the podcast before for over a decade. And I was absolutely thrilled that they were excited about it. But it's a small town romantic comedy that I've been brainstorming for forever, off and on, especially in the last year or so. And I can't wait to write it, but I, I want to make sure I do it justice. Um, I expect it to fail just because I am I go in with that expectation and then I'm surprised when books don't. <laughs> That's been my marketing philosophy for the, philosophy for the last five or so years. Uh, but, and that has helped me have a realistic budget and realistic expectations. But anyway, so, um, I want the writing in it to be the most fun, the most engaging I've ever done. And so I'm focusing on the backstory, character building, quirky characters. I, and whenever I think of something funny that a character could say, I've been writing that down and just keeping track of everything. And, um, it's been so much fun. I've, I've already written the first several pages, um, but the last book in my Alp Alpine Hospital romance series is is what I will be writing first of my fiction projects, be just because I need to tie that series off and just, you know, get on, move on from to other things. But this one is what my readers wanted the most. And it's about a woman who kidnaps a doctor to save her grandmother's life. And of course, he ends up being the wrong kind of doctor, but the right kind of man. I, I should wink right there. <laughs> anyway, I want to move my books from KU to wide, but I need to get new book covers for my Mosaic Chronicles. And that's like 10 books. And I just don't have the energy to tackle research and cover designers. And I don't want to do it myself. Like I'm, I am over making book covers. 
Um, they just, they're fun, but they take so much time and I just don't have time right now. So if you know any good cover designers who uh, do fantasy and, and would handle my style well, please let me know. I will add, it came to me, not to ignore you completely. I'm excited that you're working on some romance stuff too. And then nothing wrong with some nonfiction that should go nonfiction is so much easier to market don't I think Joanna Penn talks about this you know like you're building your podcast and it translates like what if you were good on the podcast and talking about stuff people want to hear they're going to want to hear what you have to say in the book whereas with fiction we've talked about before you can be amazing on a podcast but then your writing is like whoa people write so much differently than I don't think I do to be honest but I mean a lot of people you ever know those people that are hilarious in real life and they're really funny and witty and you read their stuff and it's like whoa did you mean to be this dry and encyclopedia like in your fiction um the only thing I was going to add too is I haven't signed up for anything yet, but I think I'm going to actually go back to Facebook ads and just pay somebody to try it. There seem to be a lot more services out there now and they're being recommended. It's always a challenge when you have to pay their fee on top of all the costs of the ads. And it's like, are you actually going to come out ahead after doing all that? So it will be an experiment. I, I'm, I've got somebody selected, but I haven't even filled out the form yet. So we don't know for sure. But every time, I mean, I've, re I've been relying wholly on Amazon ads these last couple of years and it's fine for me. It's, it's worked as long as you have money to spend, Amazon ads can work. But I, I do, you know, every now and then I'm like, oh, I should, I haven't really done my books on Facebook forever. I should try it. And I go in and the ad manager is completely different and everything is completely different. And I was like, ah, oh, I don't really want to learn this. I don't love Facebook enough. As Andrea has said, I mean, I pop in there. I'm only in like two groups anymore. It's those ones with like a zillion people on them. So I just go in and see what's up. But if anybody cool wants to invite me to a group, I'm, I'm actually a little more open to Facebook these days, but you don't have to be cool. It's okay. But um, yeah, I guess that's it for me. And I hope you guys' stuff goes well. And we probably, have we rambled enough? 45 minutes? I think we probably have. And and I'll just say one last reminder, infostack.io forward slash Andrea Pearson. Do it. Do also, it. I, I wanted to say I laughed at your, what was it? He's not the right doc, right kind of doctor, but he's the right, right kind, kind of, of man. man. Make sure that's your hook. It is my hook. Okay. <laughs> it's definitely hook shaped. <laughs> I, I worked on that for like a month. <laughs> is he a podiatrist? No, he's going to be like a radiologist. And she, her doctor, her grandma has like, uh, I don't like kidney failure or something like that. And so he's like, I don't even do this. <laughs> it's going to be right. fun. Sounds all fun. Right. Yeah. So uh, I don't know when the next one's going to be, but hopefully uh, when we do another one, we'll all have really interesting new things to talk about with with how our year went and the things that we tried because i certainly want to know how things go with the facebook thing because having someone else do it for me does does feel very uh very I have enticing two nine book urban fantasy series now oh it's going to be nine books when i'm finished that are a j you know same world and stuff so i was like if i can just do the book ones in those two series i can Good afford to spend quite a bit because you know it's like 18 books they can buy if, if they get into the world. So we'll see. <laughs> we'll see. And for everyone else, thank you for listening. Uh, you can find the show notes or leave a comment or question at sixfigureauthors.com with the number six. Bye-bye. So long, everybody. See y'all later. <laughs>